Hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm Sam. Welcome to Sloppy and Unforeseen, a podcast for worship leaders that aims to encourage conversation among peers. From the silly to the serious, we want to help you see both sides of the conversation and work to bring the church together. Whether you're team sloppy or team unforeseen, there are no right answers here. Just a desire to have dialogue between all traditions of worship. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Patrick, along with my buddy, Sam. How you doing, What is Sam? up? What is up? We are back for another episode. Thanks for sticking with us so far. Today, we are, uh, we're going to tackle a topic of budget versus brand. Uh, we want to talk about, you know, where do you, where does it matter or, or does it matter even, uh, where you spend your hard earned dollars and your church's hard earned dollars on gear that you're using for you, for your team. Uh, and today we're going to dive into electric guitars. You know, when we thought about, when I thought about who might have some things to, to uh, share on this? I thought of the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Burgess. You know him from Worship Leaders Plus, from his work uh, all across the country. I know him as Connecticut's local bear whisperer. But Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, nice to be here. Thanks, guys. Howdy, sure. Dan. Thanks Good to meet you, man. You too, Sam. So, um, Dan, give us the Reader's Digest version of your history in leading at the church. Where did you start? Uh, where did you go? And where are you now? Okay, well, uh, Reader's Digest. Okay, I started reading worship. What is Reader's Digest? Is that still a thing? (laughs) It doesn't exist anymore, but I remember reading it in my grandma's bathroom all the time. So, you know. uh, Is that like Wikipedia or? Yes. Yeah. Well, I started leading uh, late 90s. I got saved uh, when I was 15. uh, And, uh, you know, I was a a musician for a while. uh, And when I got involved with church, uh, it just kind of became the natural uh, things. So I started doing camp work and, uh, went to college, led all through college at a Christian university, went to, uh, Nyack college in New York. Uh, and then out of college, uh, took a job as a worship guy down in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, was at a 3000 ish, slightly less, uh, Baptist church, uh, jumped from being the, the youth worship guy to the high school youth pastor and worship guy, um, after a few years of that, I was there for four years. And then, uh, in the process of that, I started building guitar pedals and that's the other side of, uh, the influence was, uh, this one's mine effects. And, uh, really that just started as a hobby to get date money for my wife and I, um, oh, cool. but it turned into, uh, a global network of, uh, mentoring and discipling worship leaders. So it, uh, that eventually led to all the the Facebook uh, pages. I started uh, Gear Talk Praise and Worship, and then uh, Dale uh, Huntington was one of my clients way back when he was with, I think it was Shine Like Stars or his initial band. Um, so when he wanted to start Worship Leaders Plus, he he messaged me and was like, "Hey, would you be all about uh, doing a slightly more mature?" Uh, worship group and I was like yeah this is great let's go okay. um and so Dale and I kind of Dale's the head person but I joined alongside with him and have been an admin there as well um with this one's mine in 2010 I interviewed all over the country uh for worship jobs and really didn't feel like God was calling me to leave uh 
Mount Pleasant, which was the town that we were living in. And so I started uh, serving at Seacoast Church uh, and uh, was just a, a worship leader, guitar player. Um, and I did the the pedal company as like a tent making, uh, you know, kind of an indie uh like rebellious pastor kind of thing. I don't know. Um, but started discipling and mentoring the worship leaders at the church. Um, pretty quickly they caught on that that was my passion and they started plugging me into areas. Um, we had a college out of the, the church. So I began working at, um, Southeastern university teaching and working with worship leaders. Um, I was brought on staff as a music director, um, and a guitar player and, I rolled that for 11 years and then 2020 uh, pandemic hit. My wife and I were like, well, we finally had the clearance from the Holy Spirit. Like it's okay to move. Uh, So we packed our bags and moved back up to Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, So to be closer to family, uh, better education for our kids, um, different season of life. And so we moved here May of 2020. Uh, and in October, I took a worship director job at my old youth pastor's church at Legacy Church um, here in Connecticut in Farmington. And so I've been there two and a half years now and uh, still networking, still doing stuff. I'm not doing the pedals anymore. Uh, just got too much. And uh, But yeah, life is good. So that's abbreviated Reader's Digest version, I guess. All right. Cool. Cool. So Connecticut to the Carolinas, back to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned your wife. You have uh, you have a couple of kids, right? Yep. Got Micah and Mia. They're 11 and 8. Awesome. 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 Good deal. Now, we also know you from the uh, the Star Wars spinoff of Worship Leaders Plus. So you're a bit of a Star Wars fan. So uh, we do always, we are always curious because I, I think, you know, you're, you're, your entertainment preferences may say a little bit about who you are and, 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 you know, um, yeah. Key people into a little bit about you and your personality. So your best, uh, star Wars movie or show, which, oh, which, uh, which one? I mean, with? I'm still as a kid, it was return of the Jedi. Um, yeah. I know people, you know, they'll rip on it. They're like, Oh, empire strikes back. But uh, you know, when we had the three movies and, uh, they were VHS recorded with <laughs> all the commercials, you know, um, I wore out return of the Jedi. I just, I, I loved the whole Endor uh, fight scene and yeah. it just showcased everyone's personalities with Han Solo and the kind of shrug with the guns when the stormtroopers come out and um, it just sold me on it, you know? Sure. And, uh, and again, as a kid growing up in the nineties, um, it was right when they were going to remaster Mm-hmm. uh the original star wars movies and so we got to see them in the theater with like slightly better uh oh yeah graphics and stuff on them and then the new you know, aliens coming across the screen yeah right, yeah right, just right. random you know but they yeah. then they released phantom menace um but really the biggest thing with star wars for me was uh the canon that uh lucas held that bridge the gap over all the books and everything. Mm. So when I was a teenager, I read through, man, I must've read 50 different star Wars books, every single one they had in the, in the library. Um, 
and to me there was this sacredness to the star wars universe that uh you know you could still imagine it based off of the original three um right but then it got a little goofy with the whole jar jar and stuff like that but (laughs) yeah so it's been fun uh bridging that too with my son now that he's of age yeah getting to relive that now right it's really cool so i love star wars yeah that's been been the greatest part i i do i don't know if luke has ever come out and said it but i do believe the theory that jar jar was supposed to be um a much bigger part in the prequel trilogy potentially being a sith i don't i don't know there's some pretty compelling arguments online it's a rabbit hole we could go down but i think that would have um i don't know if that would have ruined or made it better i'm not decided but uh you could have deleted him completely and it well in episode one absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> but i just wonder later on yeah no they could have um, they could have done some character development yeah. for sure but. i did see without going too far down this rabbit hole um if you've watched the recent uh, season of Mandalorian, and I have not yet, so okay. don't spoil too much. Right. You, need to. Say anything you need to. But there my is son a... is in like he's on like three different travel teams right now, so I'm sorry we have to that. wait. Until, I mean, congratulations, uh, congratulations. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. pretend I can't hear anything you're saying about <laughs> All right. it. Well, but... after you watch it, uh, send me a text because there's an interesting, uh, interesting tie-in. But yeah, I cool. I totally get where you're coming from watching the movies i knew the movies as a kid but watching them back do you remember the old theater in east hartford that was torn down yeah uh recently so i remember going and seeing the re-release of a new hope there and that was the first time i went to a movie where people were all out in costume yeah uh, that was my mm. first like big movie release experience like the death star blowing up with the new with the special new, effects yeah, like nice yeah. the, the uproar in the theater was like this is that was my first like you know, Holy Spirit moment, not you know, outside of church. You know. Spiritual moment, yeah, <laughs> yeah. At risk of being blasphemous here, but but you uh, you guys know what I mean. It's that it's like so oh. beautiful, right? So, um, anyway, yeah, good deal. Well, that's why so, Lucas was pushing for digital that whole time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he, he wanted had, to he see had what the he vision already in his yeah. head, but finally, technology. Right. He was able to push forward to well to re- realize that vision. Well, to see what he was able to do like in the late seventies was just wicked impressive. I mean, yeah. again, he was cutting edge in 77 and now, you know, 20, 20 years later when the remastered was awesome. And now looking at him, it's like, right. wow. I mean, There's a really great uh, documentary on Disney plus about ILM and where they started right. and how they, how they helped to push everything forward. It's really great. I heard recently his, his previous company, that was for special effects. He ended up selling off kind of when, yeah, you know, I forget the timing of it, but selling it because star Wars hadn't quite taken off yet. He wasn't doing well financially. And that basically grew into Pixar animation. Really? He, he So basically Lucas found, which I totally believe, I mean, read it on the internet. It's gotta be true. Right. Um, but that's not far fetched to think like for you know, seeing what he was doing with animation and, and special effects in the seventies, you know, to where he's gone now, like, yeah, he totally, yeah. totally could have. So, well, to make the gear shift, I actually owned a Fender Custom Shop that was in the Pixar Studios. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Ted, Ted Cruz uh, Custom Shop Fender, and they used it on uh, Toy Story and uh, for almost a decade in, in Pixar. Yeah. Wow. It was, Dude. Uh, no, I had to sell it to buy one of our houses. Um, uh. 
but it was a pretty nice strat. It was nice. I just couldn't yeah, yeah. play it out because it was worth like six grand or something. Um, oh man, send us a picture. We'll we'll add that to the podcast post. Uh, I don't know if I have, if you have it. No. Yeah, it was. This was no. ten years ago that I sold it. So oh, okay. I'll look. Hey, I'll look. We'll see. You never know. Welcome back to the Star Wars podcast. <laughs> well, all right. So yeah, we'll 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 go down this Jedi thread. Master Patrick over there. So uh, I don't have uh, I don't have anything Jedi. Do you have my Mando bobblehead behind me? I don't Speaking, think you can yeah. see it. But um, speaking of spinoff groups, right? Yeah. Yes. So Dan, you've been worship leading for a while. You've got to have at least one good story. We want to hear your. Uh, preferably funniest not saddest worship leading fail Uh, moments well okay well this wasn't a fail on our part but whenever you're doing uh like a guest appearance or this is probably the best having a guest in or you were a guest um we're both guests okay and uh (laughs) we didn't communicate effectively beforehand um so we're doing this youth rally in uh in college it's a middle school high school area north jersey like whatever uh i won't name churches because i don't want anyone getting a lawsuit on them but um <laughs> you know we come in and uh it's a it's probably 10 of us you know for uh from the college we're putting on the music side and uh the guest speaker is caught in traffic you know typical kind of north jersey thing sure so we never met him before uh taking the platform and and doing our thing. So we crush it, you know, Holy Spirit's there. Kids are crying. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and then this guy takes a stage and, uh, starts preaching and then proceeds to rip his clothes off and pose to Whitney Houston's. There can be miracles when you believe Uh, (laughs) oiled up under heat lamps. He's a bodybuilder, and um, I guess part of his gig was like his personal transformation. Um, hmm. And I actually do have a picture from that night I can send you guys it's on Facebook. <laughs> How many? Um, when did he stop taking clothes off? We may not be able to share this photo. He went off. Well, no, we don't have a picture of him. We have a picture of the worship band on okay. his heat lamp stage. Um, <laughs> With was, all your jaws just on the floor, like, what? dude, like. Like nobody, I mean, you were talking, there's like 12, 13 year old girls in the room and he's in a thong. Like, I mean, he was jacked, like good for him, you know, but like, this was a turn that no one expected. And then we had to get up and do like a response set. And we're like, how do you redeem? Like what just (laughs) happened? You know, like, what do you, what do you do? Um, And I just remember. Very unforeseen right there. It was, it was, and sloppy and wet at the same time. Um, There was oil everywhere. It was like the, dude. Not anointing oil either, right? No, this was no anointing. It was, uh, it was a night to remember. And there was like 800 kids there, 700, 800 kids. That's amazing. And you know, we. Scarred for life now. Dude, I don't know. I'm like curious. I want to find one of them and just be like, hey. Do you remember? Oh, they remember. I mean, oh, they remember. Believe me. But like, are you okay? You know, like, are you? Did you have to go after to counseling? counseling? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, saying they remember, not to make light of it, but I mean, they're, that could be, yeah, that there could make be or break, who, right? Like, it well, either like yeah. drew him to the church or like <laughs> right. completely ran like, them off. I wasn't or, there and I'm getting, you know, 
It was bad, bro. Erase it. Yeah. yeah. Just erase it. Yeah. Wow. So yeah you i mean you jumped to a story quick uh and now i see why so <laughs> there anyway. i mean there have been i've had the you know the the battery pack fail um at big conference yeah. and had to play completely uh deaf and uh i've had amps blow up i've had i've had everything uh yeah. but it uh none of those compare not nothing not compares. To that. was that the whitney houston is that whitney houston uh probably image <laughs> That's Sinead. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't place it quick enough. Wow. Right, well, that's the podcast. I don't think we can top that. Um, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on stories. I probably have, <laughs> right? That's a good idea. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh wow! All right, reset. All right. Okay, yeah. No, well, well let's um, get into the meat here, right? All right. So um, we're gonna do our real quick, our own uh, Myers Briggs. Uh, Myers Briggs Enneagram personality t- test. These are just A or B questions for you, Dan. What's your preference? Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Morning or night? Night. Ears or wedges? Uh, ears. Chick-fil-A or Popeye's? 100% Chick-fil-A. Five Guys or Shake Shack? Because you're an East Coast guy. Uh, five Guys. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I like really? the option. Putting all I want on it at the same time. Yeah, so. I think that and is the biggest. full bag the, of fries. Dude, they give <laughs> you more so. fries than you can eat. It's I know. All right, well, let's get to the reason you're all here. Um, so, Dan, you're a guitar player. Um, primary, I mean, you play, obviously, acoustic and electric, but mm-hmm. you've kind of made a name for yourself in the electric world, both in playing and obviously building pedals. Um, you know, a lot of people in that space. Um, so in the whole idea of budget versus brand there is you know there's this draw if you I mean, if you follow guitar players worship guitar players on instagram you see a lot of the same pedals on yeah. people's boards and none of them are cheap so you know it kind of makes you ask the question do you need top level gear for worship is that the question uh that's the, the question an- the answer is no 100 percent no um Again, having been playing worship guitar for 25 years, uh, you know, my first pedal board was a, a tuner and a couple Ibanez uh, tone lock series. It was this gray. Actually, well, I have one of them over there, but like they're um, very limited. You know, they were mm-hmm. they were 40 bucks a piece or 30 bucks a piece. And that was my pedal board. And it was phenomenal. And honestly, uh, I still have some of the pedals because they're great and they're cheap. And, um, you know, we would do fly dates over Eastern Europe and stuff. And it's like, you're not going to take, you know, $800 worth of pedals to a real sketchy place, you know? So right. you take a bunch of these junky, whatever, and they work great. Uh, they sound great. And, um, not to say the whole tone in your fingers, uh, argument there because that's a whole nother talk but i think that if you can play guitar you can get it done with almost anything okay case closed i mean yeah there you go so what is the obsession then with the strymans with um i mean uh, calling them out not because they're they're widely used and they're they're top of the line both in I think product, but also price. I mean, Strymon doesn't make anything inexpensive. The the Strymon, again, having been in the industry kind of since 
really there was an industry at the beginning. It was basically me, Keeley, Analog Man, and Full Tone, um, and then JHS was right on my tails, and then that was like two thousand six ish. Strymon wasn't a thing yet, uh, right. and honestly, there was uh, you know Line Six was the digital king. They mm-hmm. uh, came up with the funky algorithms and the different stuff that wasn't like a straight chorus or straight phaser. Um, obviously boss is the mother of almost everything else. Um, but the line six engineers, uh, they were coming up with stuff that, uh, they wanted to do better and line six was budget. So the, the engineers left and started this a company. Is- this is, yeah, this is line control. six pre pre helix days. More this is back in the day. This was like DL four, right? Version one, yeah. Before right, right, the right. badge, yeah. Um, and their engineers left line six and started a company called Damage Control, which uh, I have one of those pedals back there too. Actually, they're massive. They're even bigger than the line six pedals, but their gimmick was they had the tubes in them, hmm. um, and they were awesome. And if you look at like. Uh, anything like 07, 06, a lot of the noisescape guys, they were using the original timeline, uh, which was this massive green pet. It was DL4-ish, but it had uh, MIDI capability. It could take clock um, and it added another flexibility, um, especially as the more production type churches were moving towards click and um, uh, automation stuff. They were able to tie into the master clocks and add that automation to the pedal board, which you couldn't do on standard line six stuff. You couldn't do it with the boss stuff. Um, really, unless you were a rack guy, you couldn't access this kind of technology. Right. Um, of course, damage control went through a whole bunch of financial issues because their pedals cost them a freaking boatload to build and they were expensive and they weren't very popular. And what they did was rebranded themselves as Strymon. Um, and if you look at all your Strymon pedals, it says damage control on there. Um, but what they did was they removed the gimmick of the tubes and I was actually on the pre-order for their first, uh, L- my, my L cap is number like 210 off the mm-hmm. line because I was like, man, I'm supporting damage control no matter what, this is going to be awesome. Um, and I pre-ordered the blue sky and the L cap, um, and they landed, I want to say late. 2009 or early 2010 um and they haven't left my board since uh so basically the the infatuation with them in the worship world is they sound incredible they're incredibly flexible and you can do anything with them um so a lot of the pro level guys are using them because they legitimately work they're awesome pedals um the flip side of that is people who want to get the tones that those guys are doing think they have to use the specific gear that those people are using. And that I think is probably the biggest detriment in the worship world is this idea that the gear you have will dictate the level of success or success is a hard word in the word in the church world, you know, uh, cause you don't want to say like a, a worship service is more successful than previous week or, right. you know, you can't, gauge the Holy spirit, whether or not using a DD five or, you know, a timeline. Um, but it's kind of true, you know, people that's their detriment is they, they base it off of Instagram famous or that was my phone. Sorry. I didn't have it on quiet. Um, it's real life, man. It's real life. Don't worry about it. 
we're, I'm still, I'm still trying to run a church while I'm, while I'm ha- doing the podcast, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it. so there's, you know, there, there was a lot of very functional pedals that hit the scene that were cheap, um, and could get the job done. All the, you know, the even tied stuff was awesome. It still is awesome. Um, they've been pushing a lot of the envelopes with their H9 and stuff, but it's still expensive, you know, and people, sure. um, it's hard because a lot of these, I don't want to say kids, cause a lot of them are, are adults now, but like, you know, when they're teenagers and they're looking to be on the church worship team, they feel this pressure to have, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, it was, if you had the, the 500 bucks to buy the Vox tone lab, like you did it. Cause that was right. arrived, you right. know, like you, you made it when you had a, a really solid multi-effect. Um, but now 500 bucks is just one pedal. And it's, it's almost insane. I mean, I have, I have the gear because I've been in the industry for 15 years now, but you don't need it, you know? And I've, I actually make it a challenge to myself sometimes to the, the, the best tone that I ever had live was actually a fail. I just gotten the eventide uh, time factor and I was not aware that the power requirements were so severe. So I had a, uh, one spot daisy chain and i showed up at this worship event and i was gonna daisy chain my pedals and uh the time factor screwed the whole thing up because it it was buzzing and it had a reverse polarity and this was like 2007 or 8 and so i ripped the time factor off and i didn't even have a tap tempo for my dd5 so i had uh my full tone full drive two a DD5, a tuner, obviously you need a tuner, and an RV5. And it was, it, I had my, uh, I guess I was playing a Tele or maybe my Les Paul um, into a basement, which again, the amp, you know, it's a nice amp, but yep. it was the best tone I ever had. And I, I, even to this day, I can remember like leading worship and I was completely undistracted. Um, it was on off on the full drive. I didn't even use the boost. Um, the delay was, wasn't in time. It didn't matter. You know, I wasn't ever, I was, I left the reverb on the whole time. If I needed to get like bigger or ambient, I would turn the delay on. I didn't have a volume pedal. Um, and it was awesome. You know, it was absolutely (laughs) awesome. And, and I could still remember that, you know, that was 16 years ago. And, um, Again, yeah. So that was slightly, you know, I, I feel like people, they feel like they need the best of the best because those are the tones they're emulating. But I think the deeper issue there is the comparison. Yeah. And with social media and Instagram, you only get the likes if your pedal board stacks up to sure. the popular pedal boards, which is is garbage you know and i feel like there was a freedom before uh, social media to just kind of do your thing and accomplish your goal in a creative manner and now it's just kind of now it doesn't even matter because most churches are running tracks and your guitar probably isn't on you know you're playing keyboard parts or whatever you know um that was a broad brush uh statement and (laughs) but Kind of true, you know. If if you're not a beast and you can't hang your own, uh, what are you doing? Sure. 
Now, I'm I'm assuming a lot of our audience is going to be like in the smaller to mid range size churches, mm-hmm. and I'm a total noob when it comes to electrics and pedals. Like I'm an acoustic guy. Um, if I were getting into electric, what would be a entry level uh, recommendation that you would have for me? Like playing uh, in like a church world? Yeah, playing in church world. Yeah. Okay. So we had a, a young kid on our team. Um, I think he's 15. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, get the old uh, Line 6 floor pod or whatever. or uh, Pod go? The pod, pod go. Pod whatever it was. The one that has the little volume pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, on the used market, they're 125 150 bucks, um, And they have everything you ever need in there. They're not a helix. They don't sound as good um, as the newer stuff. But breaking into the guitar world, you could legitimately tour with that and have everything you ever needed at your feet. Um, you won't have any cable issues because it's all built in. You know, you have one power supply, so you don't have to buy an extra power supply. And you can go direct to a system if you needed to, or you could mm-hmm. run it in front of an amp. Um, for 150 bucks. you can't beat that. Uh, right it's got everything you need on there um and then obviously once you kind of play around with that and you master the mental knowledge of what effects are and you're like hey this delay is not quite getting me there or this chorus pedal sounds a little too fake okay well then you can start breaching into uh you know building a pedal board and finding what uh may fit those needs better um but yeah if you're breaking in man, get one of those little multi-effects units and and go for it because the sound engineer matters more than what you have on the floor in front of you. Okay. Yeah, my fear is just that there's so many variables, like what kind of electric guitar do I get? What pedals do I get? Mm-hmm. And then what amp do I get? Or do I run direct? Honestly, in today's world, if you're in a smaller church, you're you're better off running direct. Like, again, I mean, I played, I've, I've been in the mega church world for, for a long time now. And, um, we had the whole ISO rooms and, um, you know, we, everyone was running stereo amps and it was awesome. Uh, but in a small church, your amp is just getting in the way. It's too loud. Like, yeah. it, and in order for it to sound good, it's, it's, it's in the way. Um, and that actually is a plug from me as well on the Strymon side. One of the things that the, the big sky is awesome at is it has an emulator on it. Um, so you can go direct with the big sky um not saying that's worth the price tag necessarily but um if you need a killer reverb unit and you need to go direct that's a great unit yeah it's two and one and honestly i keep it on my board i I only use two settings on it but if my amp ever goes down i have a built-in and i've played it and see yeah it's great you know it's a backup um i use it for recording all the time um, I've done big conferences where people thought I was playing one of my matchless amps and it was just big sky, you know, so cool. Uh, I don't know, you know, but you know, along those lines, I mean, if you're talking about the signal chain of electric guitar player, you've got obviously the guitar, you've got multi effects or a pedal board typically, mm-hmm. and you've got your amp or direct option. So along those lines for the, for the budget conscious, I mean, where would you spend your money first of those three? Okay, assuming you have like a base level, right? If you have a, let's say you have the pod go 150 bucks, you're playing through 
a hundred dollar squire that you got used at guitar center uh and you're going direct to the house right like like, like let's assume that's your your 250 dollars level setup. Setup. Yeah. yeah 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 your okay. basic setup. Yeah. um 100 spend your money on a guitar 100 because whether you go direct whether you go into an amp no matter what pedals are on the floor in front of you, you need a guitar that's going to stay in tune mm-hmm. um, up and down the fretboard. Again, like if you're just playing rhythm, that Squire may be fine. Um, and there are good Squires. Don't get me wrong there either. Right. My favorite gu- guitar of all time was an 83 uh, Squire Strat. That thing was amazing. Um, but you've got to find the good one. Uh, right. The same with the, the, the Mexican models. Uh, they're great now but they're also like a thousand dollars now. Um, but you can get a used one as long as you play them and you kind of know what you're looking at. And if you don't know, then go with somebody who does like go to the guitar stores, go to the the pawn shops, whatever with somebody who has a, a basic understanding of intonation and setting up. Um, but if you get into a, a five or $600 guitar, that's the best upgrade you can, you can make a hundred percent because you, you get a better tone. $50 starter yeah Yeah. now there's definitely a diminishing returns and you don't need a four thousand dollar guitar to do praise and worship period you don't need it um i know they're trendy uh there are some benefits my main stage guitar is a tone master um it i'm in it 2500 ish trade um now they're selling for close to the four five range um it's my favorite guitar. I've had it for 10 years. It is stable. It sounds great. It plays awesome. I love it. Um, but again, I've been playing that. I've been doing this professionally for 25 years. So that wasn't your a, first guitar. No, that was not my first guitar. My first guitar was an Epiphone Strat. It was an eighties Epiphone Strat that was cream. So it was like Eric Clapton's, you know, nice. it was cool. um, and it was garbage, you know, but I learned how to play on it. And for, Gosh, I had that guitar for probably six years. I don't think I got another electric guitar until I got married. So from 15 till 14 till 23. Yeah, so I had that guitar for nine years. Hmm. Um, I think that's that's a life lesson. Don't buy multiple guitars until you're married. Don't let your wife know. I probably should have bought more before (laughs) because it was pulling teeth trying to get like the approval of my wife to be like, Hey, can I get another guitar? <laughs> and, um, actually when I, when I got my full-time job down there, I did buy, uh, it was a Fernandez strat, uh, from guitar center. It was 60 bucks. Dude, the thing slayed. It was so good. Um, and then I played that up until I got married. And then I got my first Les Paul, uh, hmm. was when I was about 23. Um, and there was a, it was a Les Paul studio, so it wasn't like a super high end one. Um, and I don't know if it was the humbuckers or the actual craftsmanship, but it was a pretty sick guitar too. Um, and then that's kind of when I started the company and I had more money to spend on gear stuff. So at that point I kind of entered into a different, different world. Sure. Okay. So the, I mean the, the start of the signal chain, which I mean, that lines up with, uh you know, a lot, what a lot of other people in pro audio say, if it's your yeah. fix the signal source first, if you got a crappy guitar going into a helix, you're not going to sound like whoever you want to sound like. Right. I mean, you're, you've got to, you got to know how to play and you've got to have a, a, an instrument of a certain quality and then, you know, the effects and the, 
the other yeah, and I, I would even say that honestly, like your strings, I mean, especially in the acoustic world, and Sam, you may relate to this more. Like, if you don't have a good string bass on your acoustic guitar, you can have a phenomenal acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. You've got dead strings. I mean, you sound like mud, you know? Um, sure. And, and, I think with the, the acoustic world, obviously there's more resonation and, and it matters more. Um, but it does also translate in the electric world. If you want that real chimey, crisp sound, like spend the 10 bucks on a new set of strings instead of buying a new pedal for your pedal board. Like, yeah. um, you, you'll go a lot farther with $10 that way than you will, uh, you know, getting a new EQ pedal or, or whatever for a hundred bucks. So. Yeah. Trying to EQ some life back into your strings. Just yeah. change the problem. Stupid. Yeah. I need waves to tune my <laughs> to tune my guitar. <laughs> I buy this five hundred dollar plugin just yeah. to <laughs> no, no, it's dumb. So um kind of looping back to the comparison game. That was a bad guitar pun. See what I did there. Um yeah, I, I heard that. Loop. <laughs> yeah, the kind of that comparison game. If we compare ourselves to these touring artists um because dan you mentioned yeah if you're going overseas you don't want to bring your your top level gear but you Mm -hmm. i mean you weren't you weren't on chris tomlin's tour no you know you didn't you didn't have um two trailers behind you with road case on top of road case i mean it was it's a different touring scenario so these guys you are touring are bringing top level gear out with them more or less um sometimes Right. And that's like, I've worked with, again, I did work with passion 2010. Uh, Carson is a good friend of mine. Uh, Tomlin's main guitarist. Yep. Um, those guys load their boards with stuff they can get at guitar center. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that. Like they look at these boards now of like the Bethel guys, like, yeah, like they have all the strime and stuff on there, but like when they go on the road and something breaks, guess what they're using on a lot of these big tours they're using tube screamers they're sure. using boss delays you know and now striming is a little bit more accessible so like you can go to guitar center and get an l cap um and you know but like yeah a lot of the the road guys man there's a reason why you know stevie ray vaughn used a tube screamer because he can get another one if that one fries you know sure. and he doesn't <laughs> have to lose momentum um so right. yeah there i mean i think they're the comparison game and in the, in the, with the touring artists is it's just, we never had this kind of accessibility to them 15, 20 years ago. Sure. Uh, and now it's like, yeah, we can, you can find out what amps they're using without like scrutinizing a guitar world magazine and trying to like make out what model Vox they were using in the background. You know, right. um, the internet has put all of that on our phones and, uh, you know, we get notifications every time there's a new Bethel video or there's a new whatever. Um, but that, it, you know, I'm just saying those guys, they use some of it for the likes and for the, you know, but then the other side is like, yeah, they're being paid full time to play guitar. Like they can afford to have a $3,000 pedal board versus, um, you know, and a lot of the guitars are are given to them for the sole purpose of making money off of the rest of people who, who want to buy them. And and on a tour, they're playing like 90 to 120 minutes of music, you know, versus the four versus four songs on a Sunday. Yeah, exactly. So like, no, no, your, 
yeah, 90 to 120 minutes of music five nights a week, you know, for a 250 night tour date. If you're playing with, I don't know, a, a Tomlin type world, you know, you're, you're, you're touring most of the year. So if you're selling out stadiums for 200 nights a year, heck yeah, play the best you can. You've got the money, you know? Um, but if you're playing to your congregation of 50, no one in that congregation, if, if they can hear the difference, they're on stage with you. Sure. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't care. It doesn't matter if you're using a line six or if you're using a Strymon or if you're using a boss delay. Um, They don't know and they don't care. No one cares. Well, being on the road and being on tour, the gear takes a different beating. You know, if you're much different. Yes. So you might say, yeah, they're using boss. They're using, you know, Ibanez pedals. Those have been around a while. Those have they've stood the test of time. That yeah, there's mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's the sweet spot of reliability and replaceability. It's like, hey, this is yeah. gonna this is gonna take a a beating and still work for me every night. But if it doesn't, I can get one. You know, they're not touring backwoods Montana. No offense, Montana, but I don't know how many guitar centers are in Montana, but not as many as the New York metro area. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. So you know, if you're not yeah, if you're not going out there, um, going on the road, you know, do you need the $600 road case for your pedal board when you're just throwing it in the back of your Honda Civic uh, on you know Sunday afternoons to go home? Yeah, I think sometimes we, again, it is that comparison game. We want to look cool. We want to, you know, we want to have the the sweet gear. It looks impressive to unclip the, you know, get the flat yeah. board out on the road case, um, but. Now, if you if you if you've got a three thousand dollar pedal board, yeah, you probably want a six hundred dollar case to protect those pedals, even in the back of your Honda Civic. But um, it doesn't sound like that's the requirement for getting the tones that you need for praise and worship. Not at all, no. And it, yes, there is a level of like, I mean, you know where you're going. So if you're walking up three flights of stairs to like your apartment, you probably do want a case that's going to protect it a little bit. Uh, Cause you're going to be hitting stereo, you know, the railings and, and you've got to commute. So you do want to keep your gear, uh, in, in working shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but does it need to be, you know, and again, that's a preference thing. I mean, I'm not going to, I can't tell somebody how to spend their money. You know, if, if sure. you, if you had the money in your bank account, go ahead. I mean, if that's where you want to spend it, that's great. You know, after you feed yourself and your family, right. Got to feed yourself in the family, okay. you know, but even sometimes, you know, if you got good enough gear, there's green room food. I mean, you know, you can, <laughs> you can live off of uh crackers and trail mix, you know, um, peanuts. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you, people can, and again, if that's your hobby and that's what brings you joy by all means, but I think being hyper and in, uh, intentional about the hard issues behind it and being like, Hey, why am I? so obsessed with getting this Veritas, like whatever, like it doesn't matter. You know, like I, I do play matchless amps. Um, I've been playing matchless amps for 15, 15 years now. Uh, I love them. They're amazing. They are, they are indeed matchless. I love them. They, they sound awesome. Do you need one? No, you don't need one. Will I sell mine? No, not unless I <laughs> need to feed my kids, you know, but, um, do you need one? No, you you really don't. Uh, and again, going back to the the Big Sky emulator, I played a youth conference. We had something like 1,500 youth there. Um, 
but they were all from different churches. So there were a ton of youth leaders and, uh, the other kids, the other guitarists, his aunt blew up. So I let him use my matchless and I went direct with the big sky. Cause I really don't care. I'm f- flexible enough to get what I need. And afterwards, you know, all the le- youth leaders are coming up being like, Hey, which amp are you using? Oh. And they were like placing bets like, Oh, is it your chieftain? Oh no. I think it was. And literally these were like gear snobs, like guys who, uh, were known in the gear world. Alex Moore. I don't know if you know who Alex Moore is. He's kind of disappeared a little bit, but there was a, a period where he was, he was super popular. Like he had YouTube channel and all that. Um, and he was like swearing that I was playing my C30. And I was like, dude, it was the big sky. Like that's all it was, you know? And it sounded good. And if, you know, literally a room full of gear snobs can't tell the difference. Really? You know, yeah. like, doesn't matter, you know? And, and, and again, I mean, just, yeah, if, if I can use my C30, I, I do use, I use it every Sunday morning. Um, but I bypass the speaker and I run it direct, you know, because there's, that's what's needed. Um, but I'm also a snob in the sense of like, I can feel the difference on my strings, which most people, they haven't played 20 boutique amps to know the difference. Um, they haven't, they ha- they don't have the experience to know the difference between a blues junior and, you know, a 64 Vox top boost. Like they don't know the difference. They don't sure. feel the difference. And so honestly, they just need to recognize that and be like, Hey, am I happy with the sound I'm getting? is it direct? Okay. Then who cares? Yeah. Like Instagram doesn't care, you know, like TikTok's not going to care if you're playing a, a, a cheap fender or a PV or, you know, a, a matchless, like that's all on you. And, and really the root is, you know, the, that's a pride issue. That's you saying, Hey, I want to have value to this world. And the value that I have is not in my actual ability to play guitar. It's in, what gear people think I'm using. Hmm. And that's not really, I, I, I don't see God being honored in that. Um, and again, I'm not, I quit the pedal thing. So I'm not in the industry anymore. I could say some things that I probably uh, shouldn't, you know, profess really loud, but it really isn't about the gear. You know, it, it, you can get by with anything as, as long as you're growing mu- musically, um, you literally can get the same tones out of cheaper boss gear versus the expensive Strymon stuff. And in a front of house mix, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. Mm. Hmm. And make sure you communicate to your front of house mixer to make sure that you're loud enough in the house, right? Well, over, yeah, we, over and we over again. We can mix ourselves in our ears now, but we don't necessarily know what the house is hearing. Yeah. The number one relationship you're going to have as a, as a, worship anything whether you're a keyboard player singer acoustic drums is that front of house guy like and i made that a point when i got to seacoast I, I i will say some i think some of my success at seacoast was not even my ability to play it was the fact that i was relational and after every set every service i'd be like hey mid-service i'd be going to the sound guy i'm like hey dude what do you need from me more effect less effect more drive less drive um do you need me out like I do a lot of the ambient, like I cover a lot of ground. Do you need more of that? You need less of that. Um, I was doing this pickup here. I was doing this there. Like, what do you want out of me? And not only did that help grow me as a musician, um, 
but everything I played mattered to the mix versus, yeah. oh my God, he's so busy. I'm just going to turn him off, you know? Mm. Um, mm. And, and that happens, you know, it, it, it does. Or you have an inexperienced sound guy and then you literally butcher the entire mix because you're not aware of how you're mixed out front or that your amp is too loud um, or that your guitar is out of tune. Right. Um, that happens too, you know. And that's huge that that just past two minutes that you just shared, that's that's so huge for the relationships that you build and the humility that you show by asking what yeah. what does somebody else need instead of, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear yeah. what I'm doing. Um, that's that's the servant's heart right there. I really appreciate you saying that, Dan. Yeah, and again, those sound guys, a lot of times, the the well, not the feedback from that, but in counseling and, and pastoring sound guys, the number one gripe they have with the church is that people don't care about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they they feel like they're just there to serve and they do their thing, but there's no there's no relationship. In reality, every environment, the sound guy is the number one choke point. Like they can make you sound amazing or they can make you sound horrible. Mm. And wouldn't you want that person on your side? Like, don't you want that person like in your pocket? Like so much power over a mute button. (laughs) Dude, like you can have Bethel literally, you can have Jen Johnson and all of their, everybody, you can have them in your church. If your sound guy sucks, Bethel sucks. Like they, they can make them, they make or break every mix. Um, And I've had, youth bands like junky like seventh grade students playing behind me and we literally sounded amazing because we had a sound guy who who cared about his craft and eq'd things right and again the students also knew when to play and when not to but um that relationship with sound guy is so key and Mm -hmm. honestly like instead of buying a two thousand dollar pedal board maybe you know, take your sound guy out to lunch a little bit more and, and, uh, help him get a, a good pair of over ears, help him to, you know, increase what he's doing there because he can make your $200 guitar sound better than a $3,000 custom shop, something, you know, yeah. um, it's all in his hands, you know, or he could turn you off and just run the tracks, which <laughs> also happens. <laughs> which happens. So. Yeah. I mean, digging in just a, a little bit deeper on that fact, you talked about the EQing and, and the communication. Um, and Sam, you mentioned you, a lot of churches using in-ears, you can control your mix. You might sound great, Mm -hmm. you know, as a guitar player, you might have yourself cranked way up and you just sound awesome. And maybe you've lost what the keyboard player is doing and the acoustic guitar or the rhythm guitar is doing. Um, but that communication with the sound guy, you know, I might say, Hey, you know what? Um, there's too much low end coming out of your your amp or your amp sim, whatever, like, can we clean that up a little at the source again? So he doesn't have to get crazy with EQ. Can we do a little bit better source? So maybe your lead parts cut through. They don't get, so, you know, they're, they're getting lost in the mix or, you know, whatever the case is. But I think that, you know, it's one thing I learned. I'm, I'm a rudimentary electric guitar player at best. Um, but you know, what sounds good at home didn't always sound good on no. Sunday morning. Cause it's like, well, now I'm playing with a band. And that, and, and having that awareness even is just so crucial. And that goes more into, I think, musicality than mm-hmm. it does into, uh, the actual gear. Cause that's a true statement, no matter what kind of board you have or what guitar you have. Um, and your musicality, you've got to remember you're a part of a whole, 
Mm-hmm. You know, NBA finals are on right now. If you have one player on your court, like you're, you're done. You have five people, you're a team. You have to function as a cohesive unit. And in the worship world, like, I mean, yeah, the worship leader is, is, is kind of a make or break as well on whether or not they're engaging and actually leading the congregation. But like the band role is not to sound sick. Like our job is to get out of the way so the congregation can worship. And that's like going back to kind of what Sam said, like you have to be humble about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And yeah, I mean, you do need to hear yourself in your in-ears, you know, Um, and you can mix it however you want, but it is critical to hear what other instruments are doing. And uh, like even some of these in-ear mixes I hear on, uh, you know, the people do the the live recordings of their, I'm like, dude, where's the vocal? Like, like it's buried so deep in there. And I know that you're, you know, you're hearing your parts and you're playing your, your vocals part saying chorus two, three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, are you worshiping? Cause at the end of the day, like you also are in the congregation, you're just also on platform. So you're kind of in this dual role where like your primary responsibility as a musician on stage is not to play the parts. Your primary responsibility is to worship the Lord, your God. So like, it doesn't matter. Like, you shouldn't it doesn't matter what you're playing like instrument gear wise it, you know if you get regulated to bass for a weekend like it, everything no the scripture says players. no well you know as a <laughs> as a lead electric guitarist that's like right, right, right. the slap in the face you know <laughs> um but like do is unto the lord and and play skillfully so like playing skillfully doesn't mean only having yourself in your ears and shredding apart it means being tasteful and mindful of what everyone else is doing so that you have your role in that, uh, in that mix. And again, that doesn't come quick. Um, and I remember when I learned that lesson, I was offended, like deeply offended. Um, it was actually, okay, this is not name drop city, but he did humble me here. So I will name drop. Um, Brandon Lake grew up in our church. Um, and when he first got out of high school, he was a part-time worship leader at our, our campuses and uh, he was very musical. And I remember playing with him one night and uh, he literally was like, Dan. And again, I'm, he used to come to our youth events. So like, I was not really his youth pastor, but kind of his youth pastor. And um, he was like, Dan, I just need you to play diamonds here. And here we're playing some Wickham song. I think it was like cannons or or whatever. And we weren't using tracks. So I was playing like these violin parts and like these horn sections and getting super creative. And I thought I was killing it. Um, but he's like, no, no, I just need you to hit diamonds here because that's where the power of the vocal is dependent on. And in the moment, I was so offended. I was like, who is this kid? You know, I was mm. like 26, maybe. And he was like 19. And I'm like, bro, come on. Like, <laughs> I know this, you know. But then I listened back to the the recording of the service. And I was like, wow. Like, in, in my head, I can hear the parts that I was going to play. Um, but it was awesome. You know, and and learning that it, it, it was humbling, you know, but then also being able to take that. And as I'm teaching students and, you know, working with people who want to be the next, whatever, you know, it's like, know your role, like know yeah. what you're doing and how it impacts the room and 
that sometimes the simple stuff matters more than than over cluttering a mix, you know? Um, and whether that means you're out for sections and then you're back in or you're killing, you're not, you don't have any delay or reverb on, you know, that's the other side in terms of where you fall in the mix. Like people put way too much delay and reverb on their guitar and then they play a lead line and they're like, why didn't it pop? And I'm like, cause you're playing with like delay and reverb literally bury you in a mix. That's what they do. Um, but you don't ever listen to the front of house to know that, which is mm. a shame. Anyways, that was a little bit of a tangent, but no, no that was great. Uh, quick follow up, quick follow up question to that: How long was how long was Brandon's hair back then? It was not long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was not, and it was funny because they actually like. Well, I I don't know how much how public I can go with a lot of this stuff. So uh, th- there was a lot of tension uh, it, actually with his. Uh, cause he wanted to be full time and, and it wasn't happening in that environment. Um, and so he left Seacoast for several years and, uh, actually grew as incredibly as a leader. Mm-hmm. He went up to some church in Virginia or Maryland or something like that. Um, he was already a killer songwriter as a teenager. Um, but he developed up in Virginia, which is amazing. And then when he came back, it was like, what the heck? Like, bro, okay, this is awesome, you know? Uh, and then, again, he kind of got big, big after that. So, Yeah, which is, just goes to show that, you know, we're not born great players. We're not born great leaders. You know, it takes development and it takes practice. Intentionality. That, pri- that private practice. And, yeah. yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Let's uh... – I got two more questions to kind of close out the budget versus brand. Um, best all around guitar type. I, I just saw uh, Rhett Scholl just posted, I think on Instagram about this, um, which I thought was an interesting take. So, but Dan, I'm, I'm curious to know if you could pick one guitar type, whether it be a solid body, Les Paul, a ES 335, a Tele, a Strat, a, a Schecter seven string, like, <sighs> Um, whether it's a, a made in Mexico or a Veritas custom shop, you know, that, that aside, most versatile, you know, if I'm going out and buying one guitar for praise and worship, what style would you recommend people? I, I hate to say it because I actually don't like playing them live. Um, but, uh, a humbucker strap. Okay. Humbucker, single, single HSS. Strat will cover more ground than any other guitar out there. Has a tremolo option on the bridge, so you can get the the Gretschy type sounds. You can go out of phase, you can go in phase, you can hit the humbucker to get rock and roll. Um, that's not my number one choice. I like my three thirty five, and I'll use it everywhere. I like my Tone Master, I'll use it everywhere. But I think um, if you needed one to cover it all, that really can. Uh, I think it's the most flexible. Overall. And I don't think brand necessarily matters. Obviously, you'll get better quality if you go up the ladder there. Um, but I mentioned earlier that Fernandez strat I had 60 bucks. It was a humbucker single single. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome, you know, and it stayed in tune and it was, it was incredible. So nice. Good stuff. Yeah, the HSS, yeah, it's seen a lot. If you're a, a more novice, it does stand for uh humbucker single single so mm-hmm. three pickups humbucker at the um at bridge, the bridge single single going up towards mm-hmm. the neck so good stuff and then um 
yeah, top three pedals for worship. You're trying to get the worship sound and you um, either you don't have the funds, although you mentioned kind of getting the, the early line six stuff on reverb or the used market, which I think is great advice. Um, I'm not a multi effects unit player. My brain just doesn't yeah. work that way. I'm not either, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I can get by on one, but I like having it. Right. I need unit. to see the knob, turn the knob, mm-hmm. hear the difference. Um, so if you're building a pedal board, uh, tuner obviously is important, whether it's a pedal or a clip on, whatever, you got to be in tune. But three pedals to get the sound. Again, doesn't matter if it's Behringer or Strymon, but what are your three? effects types that are going to get you 95% of the way there with your worship sounds. In the worship world, you need delay reverb. And I almost say in, in today's worship world, uh, people are going to are hang me for this one, but uh, an EQ pedal. Um, okay. I think you can, you can sculpt your tone more with an EQ pedal than you can with a drive pedal. I don't yeah. think you need overdrive as much as you did during the Planet Shaker's mid 2000s hillsong realm um i think you can get by 95 percent with an eq that you turn on and off for different parts um and you don't even need a volume pedal you could use your knob uh mm-hmm. i could do those three and again any brand you could use boss you can use behringer you can use strymon but if you have um a delay reverb and, and an uh pedal. and an eq or again i mean a compressor ish i think an eq if depending what amp you're using or if you're going direct um if you're going direct an eq matters even more because the drives don't always sound uh, super super yeah. tight direct in front of house um well and it's you know, eq and, and compressor I mean, you can use those both depending on what you're going into um yeah. you can use those both to boost your signal to get that little bit of breakup that yeah you and need. a lot of the eq pedals too they'll have like a a gain and a limiting factor at the end. So you could still kind of get like a crunchier right, sound right. without getting louder. Um, but working with the front of house guy, like they'll let you know, you know, if you need it at 2K, then boost at 2K. You know, if you need less low end, you have that right at your feet. Um, and again, EQ pedals, I mean, the Boss one is great. There's an MXR one that's great. Um, and with compressors and overdrives, overdrive is obviously going to give you that, you know, but it's colored and it's kind of preset. So if you have a tube screamer, it's still going to sound like a tube screamer, no matter where you're at on that spectrum. And again, I just don't think modern worship necessarily needs as much overdrive as it needs, um, you know, punchiness. And honestly, the front of house matters. So if you're playing a lead line, let the front of house boost you. Like you don't need to necessarily... Um, but uh, again, it depends how good your, your sound guy is. But if you tell him, Hey dude, bump me for the intro of this song. Like if you have a good relationship with him, he's going to bump you for the front of that song. It's going to sound awesome. Um, yeah. So those are my three. Nice. Dan, appreciate uh, your time today. Uh, some good stuff in here before we let you go. Um, impart us with some wisdom. What's the best worship leading advice you've ever heard? Uh, Dan, be humble. <laughs> That's it. You know, be humble and uh, be in community, I guess. Humble in community because y- you don't know everything and um, none of us do. 
you know, but you need people around you who will tell you that and remind you of that on a regular basis because, uh, again, you may think you crushed that worship set, but maybe you were flat the whole time or, you know, playing mm. out of time or um, maybe you, you know, pissed off the, the lead pastor without even realizing it. So be in community and be humble. Um, and, you know, we're, we're always in process. So uh, there's always a next level. There's always growth potential, whether it's on a musical side, a spiritual side. Um, there's always potential there to grow. And being humble gives you access to those those doors. So. Nice. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. That was, that was great. I learned a lot uh, just from my acoustic background. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to looking into more electric stuff and, and that helps me understand my electric people too. Um, yeah. and, and front of house people and where that all fits in the mix. So I really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom uh, that you imparted upon us. So thank you very much. Oh, dude, no problem. Love it. All right. <clears throat> Last question. Team Sloppy or Team Unforeseen? John Mark was a Carolina guy, uh, so I'm going to go Team Sloppy. All right, uh, Team Sloppy yeah, Wet. He's he's a good guy. All right, we're racking up points for Team Sloppy. <laughs> team Unforeseen. <laughs> I got to find some of my unforeseen Re- reach people. out to us. We got to have you on. <laughs> you so. got to find the real like the hardcore Baptist guys to be, right, right. You know, because yes. the whole Crowder deal. You know, you got to. But yeah, yeah, definitely awesome. Dan, thanks again, man. We uh, love talking to you and uh, hope to have you back on the pod again sometime soon. Awesome, dude. Appreciate it. Sweet. God bless you, man. See ya. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Sloppy and Unforeseen podcast. We had such a great time with this episode, and we hope that you'll follow us and that you'll leave us a, a kind review. That would be really great. And yeah, if you uh, want to reach out to us, send us your questions, send us your podcast topic ideas. You can reach out to us at sloppy unforeseen, all one word, at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. Send us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Hey, until next time, uh, stay sloppy and unforeseen, my friends. Bye. <laughs>